Welcome to How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best DMs and GMs on this plane of existence. To help support the show, check out my link tree for my affiliate links. Remember that right now is the holiday season and Adventure Dice is doing pre-orders on their dice calendars. So buy those dice calendars now so that you have gifts for your geeky friends and family when the holidays come. They've got all sorts of different ranges of budgets and number of days for these, so they're perfect for any winter holiday or anything else. And who doesn't love some dice? So go check out adventuredice.ca, use the code HN, the number two DM, to get 10% off your order there. Also, in the last couple of episodes, I've mentioned it, but here it is again, just as a reminder. This is the last episode of this first half of the season, first two-thirds of the season-ish. I am going to be taking a break between American Thanksgiving and New Year because I just want to make sure I have time to focus on my family and we're doing a bunch of traveling and it's just kind of hectic and I don't want to have to worry about making sure I'm releasing a good episode for all of you. So to make sure that the, the next episodes are the top quality that you expect from How Not to DM and you know I'm, I'm getting the most interesting guests and, and having the most interesting conversations I can, I'm pushing that off until the new year. So stay tuned for official announcements on when the 17th episode is going to drop. I will be sure to tell you all on socials and kind of hype up that as we're getting close to it. But yeah, thanks for understanding on uh, me taking this little break for myself and my family. And I will come back bigger and better than ever in the new year. All right, let's jump into this episode's guest intro. Benjamin and Dane took the concept of thinking way too in-depth about the magic of D&D and turned it into their podcast, Dispel Magic. Each episode, they break down a spell, item, or creature, and what the implications would be if it actually existed in a world full of magic. They were nice enough to invite me on their show earlier this year, so if you haven't listened to that, go check it out. They asked me what I wanted to bring to the table. I brought the spell Zone of Truth because I've always been fascinated by it. I play a lot of clerics and paladins and being able to force people to tell the truth-ish, you know, with some some caveats was fascinating to me, you know, thinking about what it might do to the world. So go check that out if you haven't already after this episode is done and then check out the rest of their show. It's awesome. It makes you think about the spells and the items and the creatures that exist. And, you know, they give you some ideas about some crazy ways that you could use them to kind of test your players and challenge them in ways that maybe you hadn't thought of before. All right, that's enough about the intro. Let's jump into the episode proper. Enjoy. My name's Dane. I'm an improviser, a voice actor, and a dungeon master. I've been playing RPGs, like at least 5e RPGs, <laughs> not just made up for with my friends, for like, I'd say 10 years now, probably. I've had other podcasts, but now... I'm doing this one with uh, Benjamin, and we're talking through spells. But my main goal is to become a, a voice actor. So everyone listen for me. Good goal. And Benjamin. My name is Benjamin Huffman. I'm a game designer and podcaster by night and a therapist by day. I got my start in TTRPGs, I think, sometime around 10 years old, very close to 10 years old, which was 29 years ago now. And I was hacking the game within the first year or two. So pretty much for as long as I've been playing TTRPGs, I've been designing for them and hacking them. Always a tinkerer at heart. Yes, exactly. 
Nice. I mean, if we're talking when we were kids, I did play a game of riffs uh, with some friends, but who knows how to actually play riffs, right? So we were, I don't know how much we were actually playing. Yeah. So let's talk about running games then. Benjamin first here. How did you eventually go from, you know, hacking the game to saying, hey, I'm actually going to start running games. And you kind of remember what the first system you ran was and, and how it went for you. I'm actually going to answer about the first two games because the first game Go I ever it. started running was was D and D, and that was because I got the way I got into D and D was nobody introduced me to it. My uncle thought me he was buying me a board game and got me a box set of D and D called First Quest, and that is a box set that came with like kind of quick start rules for D and for AD and D, I think, and then also like a CD of like a wizard talking to you in a tavern or something. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> It was really amazing. So like there were like prompts as you were going through the adventure of like, play this track now. So the DM didn't have to do character voices because they had a professional voice actor do all that. So I was running games basically from the start. I I started as a dungeon master instead of, I I didn't become a player till like probably months or years after I started playing D&D. But then I joined a regular weekly gaming group when I started going to this game store and we played Rollmaster and I kind of idolized the DM of that game and, and he took me under his wing. And even though he was like in his mid to late sixties and I was not even a teenager yet, he was encouraging me to run a game for the rest of them. And I think that kind of, especially because of how much I admired him, it really solidified that like, that was my seat at the table. The dungeon master seat was my seat. That's awesome. Yeah. It's a uh, shout out to all those mentors out there who, you know, weren't trying to kill you or whatever and and we're we're encouraging you to to pursue your hobbies and interests i mean in the game not you know not actually um well or or in real life i'm glad he didn't try to kill me in real life too so yes yes that's that's a good thing all right how about you dane do you remember your first time behind the screen my first dungeon master didn't teach me a lot at least for Dungeons and Dragons. His name was Benjamin Huffman. And uh, he was just, it was just a real uphill battle with that guy. I think he did try and kill me at one point, literally with a knife, but I started running games. So I was playing with Benjamin and our D and D group for maybe two years, but we were playing every other week, maybe once a month. And I was not getting the rules. I was Mm. very bad. What were you playing? I was a tiefling bard who was a failed stand-up comedian who (laughs) never told any jokes, never tried to tell jokes. It was a bad character, and I don't remember its name. Um, But (laughs) what ended up happening is I worked in the fishing industry in Alaska for a summer. I was working 16-hour days, and I just downloaded all of Critical Role. I listened to maybe four episodes of Critical Role a day. Were you processing Uh, or were you doing other stuff? I was baking for the processors in Alaska. It was like a 5E intensive for me because I, for a month, only listened to, well, two months, only listened to Critical Role pretty much to get me through that experience. And when I came back, I was like, I understand the rules now. I think I could probably do this. So I started a homebrew campaign with a group, and then I started a Ghost of Saltmarsh like maybe two months after that. And uh, those two groups are still going to this day. So that's about three, four years 
right before the demic hit behind the screen. That was my first like really successful game, I think. Nice. Yeah. Uh, was it in Ketchikan or was it somewhere else? The the baking? Naknek, right okay. next to King Salmon, Alaska, which is mm. uh, about an hour outside of uh, Anchorage by plane. Okay. Just so my, everyone knows. My mom has cousins who live in Ketchikan and, and oh, okay. own a deep sea fishing business. So, Oh, wow. No, this was just salmon and just mm-hmm. for the summer. And I was maybe the nerdiest person there. Uh, <laughs> nobody understood what I was talking about when I tried to talk to them about almost anything. Oh, geez. Well, <laughs> at least you had Matt Mercer. And that still sultry, remains true to this tones. day. That is true to this day. I try and communicate and uh, just blank faces a lot of times. Mm. Just, oh boy. What do you feel like are some of the big mistakes or or problems or or things that have come up while you've been running games and what you feel like were the lessons that you learned from those mistakes so that, that, you know, that it made you better? I think the mistake I've most consistently made is introducing deck of many things (laughs) to a game because every time I'm like, Oh, it would be so fun. It's chaotic. It's so cool. And then you do it and like one person dies, one person becomes a god, and everybody else either loses everything that they cared about for the character or their character is transformed into a totally new thing. And it's just like, why do I keep doing this to myself? (laughs) How many times have you done this to yourself? (laughs) At least three. But I would say every time it has been the last session of that campaign. It's just not a good thing. It's a bad and thing. We, we tried to do Deck of Many Things on our podcast where we talked through the uh-huh. logical end. And generally, it's everything's done. Like, <laughs> you can't keep going after it. So, yeah. I just listened to the finale of my friend's show. The show's called Knocked Prone. Uh, shout out to Cade. He was my very first guest on my show. In the very last episode... He had one of his players pull from the deck to try to resurrect their friend who had fallen in the final combat. And it worked after like pulling three cards. He lost a bunch of intelligence and then he he did something else. Oh, uh, he, he gained a... What's the one where you, you like gain a follower? Anyway, and then yeah. he pulled one where he could get a wish and, and resurrect the fallen comrade. But that's like the best case scenario I could think yeah. of, of using it, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, but I'm not surprised, I guess, is what I'm saying, Benjamin, that all three of those kind of ended with that, unfortunately. It's the kind of magic item that I think it's weird that it's iconic because I can't imagine mm. it ever. The the number of times it's implemented in a game where it actually improves the game at all has to be vanishingly small. It has to be like yeah. 1% of games has it ever been introduced in where it made the game better or didn't destroy the game completely. Well, it's Um, the forbidden fruit, (laughs) the thing that everyone says don't do. So you got to try it at least to not touch the red button. Yeah. Yeah. Touch the red button. (laughs) Exactly. That'd be interesting to do a poll sometime and see if that rings true. Like if it really is that universal of a a poor experience. No, the temptation was, is so strong to introduce it that eventually I just created my own deck of many things that wasn't going to win every game and, and started running with that. So. Classic Benjamin. It doesn't work. I'll make it work my (laughs) way. All right. Yeah. Dean, how about you? I'd say the classic over preparing. There was a particular game that I, I set up this whole underground mine motorcycle race. This was a five E game, but I used mechanics from a board game. I think it was a F one racing board game. 
I was super jazzed on it and I made this whole map and I was like, this is going to happen. And then this is going to happen. And then they're going to get caved in and then they're going to have to solve this cool puzzle where they have to do this with this statue and put these rubies in this place. And they're going to have to battle a purple worm while they're solving the puzzle and the puzzle people will be happy with the puzzle and the battle people will be happy with the battle. They just didn't do any of the things that I wanted. They didn't want to do the puzzle. One person started doing the puzzle because they could see I was disappointed. And then (laughs) one person, (laughs) they felt bad. So they're like, okay, I'll do Dane's puzzle, I guess. And then one person was like, well, I can just get through this boulder with my spells because I've got magic. And me being a bad DM didn't know what spells they had. So he's just like, I just do it and I get out and I'm like, no, it's a magic boulder. That boulder doesn't can't with that one. That one's not going to do it. Sorry. And he's like, I don't understand why not. Is it the same rock as everything else? And yeah, it is, but it's magic rock now. And it was embarrassing. And I just, I put my pride before gameplay. I created this whole thing and I wanted to see it done. And I just kept choo-choo railroading them right into a wall of not fun. We've all been there. We've all created that magic boulder here and there. (laughs) You can't go under it. You can't go around it. You're going to have to solve my contrived puzzle to get through it. It's a classic thing, right? Because you worked so hard on whatever it was, you want them to engage with it. So what have you done to like avoid that in the future? You know, I've watched a lot of videos on it. I've listened to your podcast talk to many DMs, including that guy, Benjamin Huffman, I've talked about earlier and, you know, save it for later. If you have made it, it doesn't go bad. It's the quantum encounter. If it didn't happen, then it's going to happen in the future. It's like, no matter what, you didn't avoid it. It's just coming back. I think it's a valuable lesson to be learned, uh, certainly from, from both of you. I'm interested in this homebrew deck though, Benjamin, have you sold it anywhere or is it just purely like for your own use? It's purely for my own use. My Google Drive is uh, an absolute like nightmare labyrinth of <laughs> like half-finished game design things. So like I don't know if I could find it. Uh, Dane, uh, what about really good memories, fun memories, happy, uh, emotional, meaningful from your games yeah. that, that you can think of that um, that you want to share? I think the best games I've run. And the most memorable moments have been, I mean, I'm an improviser, so the good old yes and, but just yes anding. I, I remember one really great session I was running. Benjamin actually wrote a module called uh, the Keep of the Cobalt Queen. There's a great tavern in this module with a great menu and like the different food items do cool effects. So like the players were getting into that. And the bard was like, I'd like to play for the tavern, obviously. And he rolled a natural 20. And like the other players like started throwing in the things that they were doing to really rouse the whole tavern. And like, I remember us all laughing till crying because of like the hijinks around the food and the music and the whole tavern, like. I lived that tavern. Like it still lives within me because of, (laughs) of how much fun we had. It was just because 
we yes and it it was just like yeah and now i play this or yes and then i use press digitization to to create lights and you know all that all that jazz so yes ending real real hard and making sure that everybody's on board for that where you're like hey we're all going to contribute to this feel free to throw stuff in we'll have some fun nice how about you, Benjamin? Any any really fun or, or interesting or uh, awesome memories from games that you've run you want to share? I run a very consistent type of game. And one of my players once said that it's not a Benjamin game unless you kill God at the end. And <laughs> that's pretty much true. I, I like to take games where characters start at the periphery of the action. They're starting like in the mundane muck of the setting. And then they go to like, by the end, they're replacing the kind of central figures of the setting and kind of recreating the world in their own image. And there was a game I ran where there was a player who really played along very well with me. He was always willing to do the dumb thing that was going <laughs> to make the plot that much more interesting. So, of course, when there was a morally ambiguous vampire willing to like turn them into vampires, he was like, sure, yeah, I'll do that. So he became a vampire. <laughs> And then count me in, he said. Okay, very good. Yes, thank you. For the Sesame Street fans out there, you know, it's the stacking set of circumstances. So so he chooses to allow himself to become a vampire. And then they're in a fight on a ghost ship and a ghost possesses the barbarian in the party. And the barbarian has a vorpal sword and she beheads the warlock vampire. But the, the party keeps his head in case they can somehow bring him back to life. They can't bring him back to life, but they break into the wizard Illuminati headquarters and they find <laughs> their kind of like AI creation device and are able to kind of upload their friend into this AI device so that he's now a vampiric robot thing that can virally recreate itself and other people. And I just, that is what I love is when stacking situations get completely out of hand until you've got a player character who's a viral vampiric intelligence that can like infect other people with his mind until he's just this like massive hive mind of like robots and people Amazing. and artificial intelligence. <laughs> and I just, I love it. I love it. And now of course I use that character in other settings because it's so mm. fun to have this viral vampiric AI thing running around like it's cool and I know a lot about it and people probably think I spent time developing that character I spent zero time developing that character because it's just a really awesome character that organically developed in a different game that's a great set piece in in any <laughs> only in a, a role-playing game would something like this be created mm -hmm. right like only in this situation where you've created a bunch of distinct ideas and then someone comes in and puts them all together and now you've got this crazy amalgamation that you get a use in the future And now, a word from How Not to DM sponsors. First up, RPG Match. RPGmatch.org is a site dedicated to helping you get matched up with tabletop role-playing game players who like to play like you do. You can select games you're interested in playing, customize your preferred playstyle, and find dozens of folks to fill up your table. RPGmatch.org. Don't roll the dice on who you play with. Signing up for RPGmatch.org is 100% free. 
And you can head down to the show notes right now and click on a link which will allow you to add the How Not to DM badge to your profile. That way you can find other fans and listeners of the show and trust them that much more. Check it out. Also, a quick shout out to Episodify, the people who helped me produce this show. If you are looking for someone to help you edit your YouTube content, TikTok content, reels, shorts, podcasts, whatever it might be, Episodify is ready to help you out. They have packages for people who need more or less editing hours during each month. And if you buy more, then you can save more on the editing hours you buy. So if you're a content creator who needs a little extra help or you've started making some money and you're ready to take that editing burden off your lap, then check out Episodify.com. Last but not least, the holidays are coming up. And if you're trying to shop for that nerd in your life or that child in your life or yourself and you can't decide what to buy them, they want dice. Go to adventuredice.ca. Right now they're doing pre-orders on their advent calendar dice. So they have 24 day advent calendars, 31 day advent calendars, eight day advent calendars. These are perfect for whatever winter holiday you celebrate. And each day you'll get a new pretty dice to add to your collection and they're really not too expensive either. This is one of their best-selling items. They always sell out of these things. So pre-orders are happening now for shipping very soon before the holiday season. Again, that's adventuredice.ca. And if you use the code HN, the number two DM at checkout, you'll get a little discount for yourself and help support the show at the same time. So get those nerds in your life, some dice that you know they want, and happy holidays. Thanks so much for listening to the words from all of those sponsors. The sponsors help keep the show running, keep the lights on. Now, let's jump into Quickfire Chaos. Welcome to Quickfire Chaos! This week on Quickfire Chaos... Dane and Benjamin and I are going to roll some D100s on some random tables from the internet to create a scenario to roleplay together. So, are we more interested in a city or a fetch quest? Oh, city quest all the way, baby. Perfect. All right, so if you would please roll me the first D100 and let's see what city quest we're going on. 57. Ooh, okay, okay. This is very topical based on some previous conversations we've had. A local cult of demon worshippers have recently been seen helping the community, feeding the homeless, and housing the poor. The city oh guard boy. is sure they're up to no good, but can't <laughs> prove it. Hmm. Now let's build that NPC. So first table is the voice description. You're going to have a lot of fun with this one, Dane. So let's get that Great. next D100 roll. 14. You can hear their smile in their words. Although they're a stranger to you, they speak to you with the easy familiarity of a friend. Next is the uh, NPC personality trait. 75. Over-emotional. Excessively or abnormally emotional. Sensitive about themselves and others more so than the average person. All right. Interesting how those stack. Last but not least, their job they perform in the city. What? <laughs> 74. A wizard. Okay. Easy. Straightforward. Easy. Hedge mage. I've got to be some kind of do-gooder, right? To be roped into something like this. I will play a... I mean, it's got to be like a, a paladin or cleric, right? Some some sort of, sort of holy type, white cape, prominently displayed religious symbol. 
long flowing hair and winning smile. You know, <laughs> Dane, I'm ready. Take it away. So you are walking through the city streets. The cobblestones are glistening with some sort of moisture. It's probably around dusk. The lights are just being lit. There's like a, a soft golden glow. And as you're going down the streets, you see a sign that says uh, free potions this way, pointing to a broken up stone staircase going down to like a sub-basement of a building. It's got some some blue and green lights kind of like flashing behind the small window. <laughs> free potions. What adventure wouldn't want that? As you open the door, creaks open, right? You see a, a cramped, musty space, stacked shelves full of jars and dried th- things hanging from the ceiling. And behind a, a small desk stacked with papers, uh, you see a youngish wizard. Like, this place seems to have like too many things for somebody this age. And they've got a cat on their shoulder. He's just going at it with a mortar and pestle. He's got the the classic peaked hat that's just bent over right at the tip, right? Oh, yeah. And he's got a a patchy little fledgling beard at the end of his chin. And he looks up with bright eyes and says, Ah, ah, hello. Uh, You've come for the free potions, right? Oh, yes, I have. Uh, What can I call you, friend? Uh, I... Geronimus, uh, Geronimus, the, the, the potion maker, seller, I, magic, I do magic. Ah, great to make your acquaintance. Please tell me, what, uh, what is the, uh, what, what about these free potions? Is there a, a catch of some sort? And I kind of give you like a, a smile, like, what's the catch, friend? Oh, traveler, I, uh, well, um, there is no catch. You don't have to do anything. (laughs) Um, what is your name, if you don't mind me asking? <clears throat> uh, yes, sorry, I should have introduced myself. My name is Turville. Did you say turtle? Turville, with with a oh. kind of v, v oh, noise. Right. Yes, I'm so Turville. sorry. I'm it's so okay. sorry. I got that wrong. I'm, I'm so sorry. Much worse. <laughs> Turville, Turville, Turville. Right? Yes. And uh, he looks at the cat and he's like, "Did I say that right? Did I say it okay?" No. <laughs> uh, um. Anyway. Um, yeah, so, uh, Turville, thanks for coming in. <laughs> it's, uh, it's great. Uh, Wait, not did you speak of... audibly to your cat? Like you said oh, yeah. out loud? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just want to make sure I know what's going on here, okay? Okay, so, right. oh, so if that happened, then in addition to saying no, I batted his chin towards, like, to look at, towards, like, <laughs> looking back at Turville instead of at me. So, uh, Turville, uh, you know. Free potions, like it says. I'm a, I'm a man of my word. Um, uh, I, I'm just really trying to get my product out there. Um, but there is a little favor, um, if you're interested, um, that uh, that would really uh, help us. I mean, me out. It would help me and just me out. <clears throat> yes, yes, of course. Uh, I I don't see why not. I, I feel like a proper exchange of goods for services seems a uh, that's, you know, quite appropriate in this situation. I wouldn't expect you to just give me your potions for free. Uh, what what sort of potions are they, by the way, if I if I may ask? Oh, I got I got anything you want. I, oh, uh, yeah, yes. Uh, spider climb. Uh, healing. Uh, giant strength. Uh, 
uh, one that that makes you puke gold. That's enough. Nope, that's enough. Oh. Anyway. Hi. Uh, well, does that sound okay? Dormant. Yes. Uh, incredible. Uh, I perhaps I will do uh, do what you need done first, and, and then I might select some potions if my services are to your liking. Uh, what do you uh, have in mind? What what can I do for you, uh, friend? Um, at this, his eyes go wide, uh, like he completely forgot what he was about to say, uh, and he says, uh, "Can you excuse me for a second, please?" And uh, yes, he's going to turn around and turn to the cat and say, um, "You you need me to send him to the to the cult, right? Burn you need me to- the orphanage to the ground." he's got to do the whole orphanage last time that didn't work out really great when we burned the last orphanage then we try again Uh, failure is just an opportunity for future success listen when I took over your potion shop when you turned yourself into a cat I thought I was going to be a wizard a powerful good wizard but you've been making me do all these awful things these orphans are going to grow up to be bad people. You don't want more bad people, do you? He doesn't want more bad people. He's he's a paladin and a cleric. Look at the hair. He's something kind of holy. He does so, have really holy hair. Yes. You don't okay, get that so- kind of hair without a lot of product or God's help. So tell him that the orphans are bad, all bad apples. One bad apple will spoil the bunch. You can even say that. Uh, he's gonna whip around and with a big I'm smile like on his face, looking at, at something on a shelf, just kind of like yeah. dusting it a little bit, just like trying to pretend like I'm not listening. <laughs> I'll put that back, please. <clears throat> yeah, sorry, sorry, Geronimus. Uh, didn't mean to. Uh, he's gonna uh, absentmindedly just pluck at what little chin hair he has, and uh, uh, he's gonna say, um, "There is a place." that um, uh, houses some very bad apples and it's not an orchard place. It's a place with people in it. And don't call it an orphanage. It's not, it's not an, any don't other say, place. Don't, don't say the word. <clears throat> it's so, not. Uh, you, there's a place with some bad apples, you said, and it's uh, not an orchard. Definitively. They're, they're Future criminals. People. They're future. They're criminals that'll happen. They're cr- they're, mm, they're criminals that haven't crimed yet. And uh, we ask him if it would be I, better to prevent a crime or to catch a criminal after they've already committed the act. In your opinion, if you knew someone was going to do something bad, would it be mm. better to stop them before they did the bad thing, or would you let them do the bad thing and then stop them? Some sort of uh, a pre-crime. Uh, initiative, what you're talking. Yeah, about. I would uh, say like if you if your cogs were moving and <laughs> you were cruising down the street, I I would say that you've got a beautiful uh, I, halo of hair, by the way. Well, boy, boy, thank you. Um, I, I'm not sure that that I would condemn a person who hasn't committed a crime yet but please just tell me direct me to this building and perhaps These i can tiny go people are feral okay they're feral one might be named colin uh anyway you need to go 
They're giving out food to people willy-nilly, left and right. I mean... That's a good thing. It's tainted food. It's bad. Don't let them do it. But you need to burn it down. You need to burn down the orphanage. I mean... The Uh, building... Oh, no. I'm afraid afraid I have to let you go. (laughs) No! Did, um, did you just ask me to to, to burn down? Who, who are you talking to, by the way? What what is going on here? I no one. I, I'm, <laughs> no one. I'm not talking to anyone. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not. I'm definitely not talking to my manipulative old master who turned himself into a cat and is living on my shoulder. Help me, please. Help I think me. at this point, I probably draw a sword and like cast cast like detect good and evil or something or like or like turn turn uh undead or what i don't know this this probably escalates right now um i'm not gonna make you play out the battle but but this is about how i expected this to go (laughs) Uh, just completely off the rails amazing (laughs) well done well done both of you uh (laughs) and and a round of applause for benjamin who yes the orphan really oh okay good all right, let's jump into Dispel Magic. We'll start with Benjamin. Where did the idea come from? How did you get the show started? And how do you feel like it is going so far? You know, is it accomplishing what you set out to accomplish? Has it changed a lot from, from your original vision? That kind of thing. In most ways, it's pretty close to my original vision. My original idea was just to, every episode, discuss one spell and really think through if this spell exists what does a world look like where this spell exists? What I think has been added that has really improved the quality of the show is that we've changed the format slightly and that we now do like a mid, mid-show mid commercial that <laughs> features, Dane, uh, features Dane's voice acting hey. and introduces or rather solidifies the levity because I think I am somebody who can come across as analytical or intellectualized dry whatever else but this is all <laughs> as silly as it is anything else and so i think that the evolution into that mid mid show com- like fake commercial for like a like a product related to whatever spell or whatever we're talking about that's really good because it, i i want to rem- I, I it's a helpful reminder to our listeners and and to me that as that we're taking something very that adds core is ridiculous very seriously and that yeah. that has always been kind of part of the premise of the show is that you take something that at its core is is silly you take it very seriously and you think about it really seriously and, I've and always, it just gets sillier it just yeah. keeps getting sillier <laughs> it does i've always enjoyed taking silly things very seriously but uh i think i have a hard time communicating that I understand that it's silly. So uh, that change in the show, I think, has been one of my favorite change. It has been good. It's it's always fun to hear what Dane has cooked up. Some of them are, are just so ridiculous. But I love, like, the earnest, like, da-da-da-da-da delivery, like, you know, exactly how you expect commercials to sound. It's, it's always yeah. hilarious. <laughs> how about you, Dane? Um, as far as, like, putting the show together um, from the from the start, you know, how do you, how do you feel like it's going? Well, yeah, I, um, I have a history of podcasting. I did a would you rather podcast for an, about seven years uh, yeah. that never really took off. 
I think Benjamin brought me in not only because we've known each other a while, but I bring the technical expertise in. I edit the show, deal with the recordings, and I uh, publish it. And I'm kind of that end. So that that's been a, a learning experience. But the difference between my Would You Rather podcast and Dispel Magic, I think, in my opinion, what makes a successful podcast is one, you're talking about a niche thing. You you need to talk about one thing. You need to have a, a goal for the podcast, right? Yeah. Because if you don't, you need to be famous because people need to know who you are. And they'll listen to you no matter what you're talking about, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, Smartless, those guys are hilarious. And if it was just three schmoes talking about hilarious things, and nobody knew who they were, nobody would listen, right? Or you're very, very good at marketing. Um, so, you know, we are not very good at marketing. Uh, <laughs> but we, Benjamin has made a name for himself with the Pugilist class and Serling Vermin. And I think a lot of people gravitate towards that. And then they stay for the analysis and the, and the jokes. I mean, we yeah. try, we, we do try and keep it light. I want to push against the idea that like that your primary contribution is technical because I do think I have a very severe persona <laughs> you could say um, No yeah, I that's that's what I was going to go into next yeah, yeah I, both I as a, that... both as a creative but also as a as a person I do kind of have a severe persona and I, and I really do need someone with a lot of levity to serve as a foil to me I know Benjamin well we have very different ways of thinking, but we like thinking about the same things. Uh-huh. So when he brings up an idea, you know, I can kind of out of the box it and riff on it, which leads him to a new realm that he hadn't considered before that he can break down in a, in a more consumable way, because like I get abstract, he gets concrete. And at the end of the day, we get, watchdog birds and whales pulling ships and mm. infinite hell loops and <laughs> all sorts of shenanigans in the show. And it's been a blast. I think that the fact that you two have known each other for so long just adds to the show because you have that chemistry and that mm. understanding of how each other thinks and, and, you know, you can play off each other and, and it just makes it that much more fun. So yeah, it's, it definitely, it works. Um, and it's a lot of fun to sit there and think about it along with you, you know, when mm-hmm, each episode, um, you know, I'm always like listening and saying, Oh, I didn't think about that. Oh, I didn't think about that. Or I had thought about it that, but I would have done it this way. Um, but it, it's just a fun brain exercise for your listeners too. Uh, lately there's been someone who's chimed in on your discord. Who's like just started listening and they've had like a bunch of thoughts about each episode. And it's just, I don't know. It's it's just, there's so many different ways you can interpret stuff and it's always fun to, to see what people come up with. Right. So, you know, each of your episodes is about a half an hour, but like you could realistically talk about each of the, you know, your show topics for much longer than that oh, if yeah. you wanted to. And, and well, that's just kinda, the fact that people are yeah. still coming up with other ways of interpreting the spells that we hadn't thought of and, yeah. you know, putting that on the YouTube, putting that in the discord. All right. So Dane, you mentioned you've done another show. Um, any big differences? I mean, other than like the, the obvious topic differences, you know, what has it been pretty different to be on a show where you're like, kind of preparing notes and talking about a, a specific thing versus like, you know, a would you rather or, or improv that, you know, that kind of thing. Cutting down for content has been mm. something big. 
really thinking critically about what needs to stay and what can't like they, they talk about killing your darlings, right? Like, Oh, that was a great joke. Ooh, that was a great aside, but it's really important to us to keep the show in a digestible format. So 30 minutes is as our target goal. And if it's too much more than that, we've hummed and hawed, like, do we want to do two episodes with this? Do we want to like, what can we cut? And so really thinking critically about the, the content has been an interesting exercise. And the, would you rather show went for an hour and a half with me and two friends oh, wow. just nannering on endlessly. And it was interminable. So nobody look up bubbling <laughs> questions. <laughs> it's a weird weird show <laughs> noted noted and benjamin i'm interested um from a designer standpoint you know i'm assuming mm-hmm. like this was the kind of thinking you you were doing all the time anyway and you know it just seemed like a, a fun thing or a, an obvious choice for the show but yeah like using your game designer background and your like ability to break down stuff and think about all of the ways in which it could go terribly wrong or terribly off the rails that, that someone might set, you know, how, how do you feel like that kind of thing helps when you're prepping the show? And then on the inverse, how does making the show help improve your game design? The big impetus for me to do the show or the thing that I thought would be interesting about the show is that I figured we'd primarily be talking about spells that everybody thought were like trap spells that like you should never take because they'd be useless. And I think that's largely true. Like magic mouth, like we've been talking about is, is a perfect example of like a spell that seems like super niche. But then if you actually think through any of the world building implications of it, it's like, no, everybody would learn this spell because it's got crazy utility. I think part of it was about approaching a game orthogonally like not approaching D from the perspective of an adventure simulation right but sort of looking at it at a different angle and saying okay so magic mouth the spell exists in this world what are all the people which would be most of the people who are not adventuring what are they using the spell to do yeah the mundane um, right the exactly the yeah, right yeah. you know because there must be a, a lot of people who are not adventuring who know this spell. So then what did they do with it? The way that I guess I, I thought of that was that the game design kind of impetus for that was that a lot of Dungeons and Dragons settings don't make any sense if you think about them from the perspective of the things that exist in them. I wanted yeah. to think of what would a setting look like if you took all of the different parts of D&D literally and assumed they were true and real what would a setting that emerged from that look like? And that's sort of the thesis statement of the show is if we take the magic of D&D seriously, what does the end result look like? It doesn't look like anything that currently What'll exists. What'll happen? <laughs> but yeah, so that's sort of how my background as a game designer informed my approach to Dispel Magic is that I was really interested in seeing like if we take the game mechanics as literally definitive of reality, what then does reality look like? So that would be how I approached Dispel Magic from a game designer perspective. If we're Mm -hmm. thinking about how Dispel Magic has influenced me as a game designer, I think it has pushed me further away from the idea of games as simulation. D&D has this sort of 
vague attempt at simulating a re- uh, some kind of reality uh-huh. instead of a genre. There are some games that are basically physics engines, and there are some games that are emulating a genre. And I think probably, at least for my mind, games that attempt to be physics engines don't work because it becomes this recursive loop of like, every time you introduce a spell like Magic Mouth, you've so fundamentally changed what is possible in that world that how do you ever reconcile what you wanted versus the effect you introduced? Whereas genre-based games, when I'm talking about genre-based games, I'm thinking like Powered by the Apocalypse games or Forged in the Dark games would be some examples. Those are games where the game mechanics are derived from the setting rather than supposed to be emulating the setting. It's very interesting. Um, I occasionally as a DM would sit and like think about the implications of certain spells and and use them to solve problems in my worlds. Uh, like banking, for instance, it's like, am I going to make my players carry around, you know, 50,000 gold pieces <laughs> or am I going to find right. a way where they can access it from like any major city where there's some, you know, shared demi plane right. where they can all, you know, they can <laughs> like their, their stuff is stored in some other place and, and it's easy to access and, you know, that's just like one example of, of like the way I was thinking about it. And so that's probably why Dispel Magic like scratched that certain itch in my brain. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, this, you know, two other people want to talk about like weird, weird ways to use spells. Yeah. And I also want to talk about that. And and so it's been fun to to be along for the ride for sure. Yeah, it's good to hear that it's kind of changed the way you, you've thought about things as well. Going through the show, I think what surprised both of us is how exponentially these things stack when we take things to their logical conclusion and then incorporate the other things that have been taken to their logical conclusion the existence of this world is preposterous it becomes a super science setting like i mean it if uh technology gets to a point like a certain point it's indistinguishable from magic and we're kind of doing that backwards where right the magic Mm -hmm. is making it so anything anything is really possible case in point the fabricate episode that we did that was a really difficult episode for us we had a really hard time wrapping our heads how would fabricate in the way that it is described impact the world and we came to the conclusion that it would completely break the world we came to this point where it's like no fabricate is undoing everything we thought we knew about it that epiphany, like in conjunction with the other spells, it, it was pretty wild. The game of Dungeons and Dragons is is becoming more and more laughable to us as we record these episodes. And, well, and I don't want to say just laughable. It's also like, it's also to me, it's that there are so many more interesting settings to be playing in. Like if you want to play Dungeons and Dragons, great. But then like, let's really have fun with it then because there are some like, super exciting cool things that the, these spells facilitate that is just just, just don't exist in D settings and it's like why would they, they not because they yeah because they're very very cool and i think eberron is probably the closest mm. D setting to taking yeah. the implications of D's mechanics seriously it was created a couple editions ago and maybe it maybe yeah. it was that maybe it was the dispel magic of third edition but 
by this time there's been enough drift that there's something that maybe could take fifth edition and and whatever ultimately one D D is going to be called. Let's not speak yeah. of that. That's <laughs> a whole we'll get into that. We go one D and It's, it's making me think though. It'd be interesting to know the origins of the spells. So maybe that's something you add to your future episodes. Like, hey, this Ooh. spell came from this edition. And I don't know if you have yeah. to like cover all of the changes or whatever, but that that could like at least give some context to people about when and why it was created. There's a bunch that are from the original edition that yeah. are named after characters like Tensor's Floating yeah. Disc or or whatever, right? But anyway, yeah. All right, so I, I'd love to hear um, from you two what your parting kind of words of wisdom or encouragement or advice are for folks out there who are. For you, Benjamin, designing games and, and running games. And then for you, Dane, I'd like to hear um, about your advice to people who are running games and then also who are like trying to pursue some other kind of creative hobby. You're specifically being voice acting, but you know, the, mm. the general advice you got for those folks. So um, we'll start with Dane. In terms of gameplay, I say don't sweat the details so much. Have a start, have where you want people to end. And then if you've got moments that you want to create throughout, then fit them in where you can. But yes, and don't be afraid to get silly. Don't be afraid of like where it's going to go because if you're all having fun, that's the point. Yeah. In terms of creative pursuits, ain't nothing to it but to do it, baby. Like you mm. just got to start. Don't be afraid of, of failing because you will. You're going to fail. I failed for seven years doing a podcast that didn't go anywhere, but I had a blast doing it and I learned a lot of stuff from it. And, you know, the voice acting thing, it's a war of attrition. You just keep auditioning and you keep putting yourself out there. And every experience that you have with it is just practice for, quote unquote, the real thing. Yeah. And uh, the real thing is living life and doing it. <laughs> so don't keep waiting. Start it now. You'll get better eventually. And uh, uh, Benjamin, how about you, people who are running games and then also trying to get into game design or, or designing, you know, actively? But honestly, I'm surprised to hear how similar Jane and I's answers to this question are. Chudder to think the implications of, of that. <laughs> gotcha. But, um, <laughs> but uh, I would say in both cases, the answer is very similar, which is just to make mistakes, just to intentionally make mistakes. And, you know, I I am somebody who, for some reason, as I'm getting older, relies more and more on stories to kind of make sense of the world. And and a story I think of often is of a, a pottery class where, where the class is divided into half and one half is supposed to just study the tech study techniques and the most technical details of how to make the best pot ever, but they can't ever practice. They just, that's all they do all, all, mm. all semester long is just study the best techniques and at the end, they make one pot, and that's what they turn in. And then the other half of the class is not allowed to study at all. They just make pots all semester long. And then at the end, they make one pot to turn in. Obviously, the people who make pots all semester long are the people who are going to turn in the better pots. And that's true of DMing, and that's true of game design, and that's true of literally everything I can think of. Both of those things, and many other things also, <laughs> the vulnerability of risking failure is what's going to make you better. You're not going to get better from the safety of study. You're not going to get better from the safety of good advice. You're going to get better because you risked maybe looking foolish or silly, and maybe you do look foolish or silly, but in the end, 
you do get better. I appreciate both your advice there. Uh, I know it definitely isn't easy to be vulnerable all the time, but to Benjamin's point, putting yourself out there, putting your work out there, it feels scary, especially if it's your first time trying something. But most people, especially if it's if it's small and it's your first attempt, most people are going to be pretty understanding. If they're not, then you can ignore those people. Um, there's going to be people who give you good faith criticism and bad faith criticism too, and it's easy to tell the difference. So I love the the uh, analogy of the pottery class too. Um, I'm going to steal that and use it in the future. To wrap it up here, let's start off with Dane. If you could tell us about upcoming projects you've got, other projects that you're working on, and then where people can find you online. So I'm on the podcast Dispel Magic with Benjamin Huffman. Search for us anywhere you get your podcasts. We're going to be starting back up in January. We're getting ready to be recording our next season for that. I'm also on an actual play stream with Quests and Chaos. We're playing Call of Cthulhu Horror on the Orient Express, where I'm I'm playing just the most ridiculous dandy rich boy uh, <laughs> who, who loves polo. I'm having a blast with that. Uh, so look up Quests and Chaos. Uh, just hamming it there. up. Um, what, what's, there. what's the story been like? Has the murder happened? Uh, you know, what? give us a little taste. Well, at this point, we've only streamed once. We haven't even gotten on the train. Um, oh, okay. But a lot of sword canes have been bought by another character. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, if you're in 1920s London, you gotta, gotta. buy a sword cane. And you gotta, you gotta buy it in bulk. If you want to find me on the internet at large, I go by Dane and Danger, all one word. You can find my voice acting work there. You can find our podcast here. You can find my old podcast. Watch out. It's a doozy. All right. How about you, Benjamin? Any projects you're working on right now you can tell us about? And uh, yeah, where can people find you and your work? Similar to Dane, you can find me at the Dispel Magic podcast, which on social media is variously known as Dispel Magic, Dispel Magic Pod, Dispel Magic Podcast. So, you know, search. But then uh, all of my game design is uh, primarily filtered out through my Patreon, which is under the name Sterling Furman. And that I release monthly content for Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition that will transition to whatever they end up calling one D&D. And I am still releasing new classes. I, I released the Thaumaturge earlier this year, the Zephyr very uh-huh. recently. And I'm now working on the Anointed, which is my take on basically the video game Hades. or, Exal- or uh, well, Hades and Exalted, kind of putting those two concepts into D&D. So Children of the Gods. So uh, uh, when you play an Anointed, you're playing a Child of the Gods. Most of the powers are themed around Greek gods, but there will be ideas for how to expand that. And then I'm also uh, developing my first original game, publicly available original tabletop game. (laughs) A lot of caveats in that, but Abracadabrant Buster Core, which is uh, Forged in the Dark game that's kind of um, lighthearted fantasy meets Ghostbusters meets Bee and Puppycat. So I'm really excited about that. That's something that has evolved a lot and quickly, and I'm excited to see where it goes. And I'm also excited to kind of dip my toes into the world outside of D&D as a game designer. Mm, Yeah, I'm sure uh, they will welcome you with open arms. 
All right. Well, thank you two so much for coming on to How Not to DM, chatting about the spell magic, chatting about your other projects and stuff. Thank you again for having me on to spell magic earlier this year. That was a ton of fun too. Um, you know, after listening to the first episode, like I said, I was like, Oh, this is great. I want to be on this show. So uh, thanks for making thanks, that Derek. happen. Um, thank you. Have a great holiday season. You too. And uh, I'm really excited for the upcoming stuff to come in 2024. Uh, more to spell magic. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks Derek. Thank you so much for listening to How Not to DM. This is normally the part where we do a little sneak peek, but again, I'm just going to remind you, I'm taking that break from American Thanksgiving until after New Year, so thank you so much for understanding, and go back and listen to your favorite episodes if you haven't already. If you've already listened to all of my episodes and you are good with that, then go check out my guests' shows like Dispel Magic, which was today. Last week was Eric Silver from Join the Party. Basically, any guests I've had on, if they have a show or if they have made some work and you haven't checked them out yet, then I would encourage you to do that because there's some awesome stuff out there and they have the How Not to DM stamp of approval. Thank you so much. Happy holidays to you, to your friends, to your family. And I can't wait to see you in the new year for the second half of the season. As always, my intro and outro music is by Daniel Zombo. The Quickfire Chaos music is by Exacat, And the Quickfire Chaos mood music is by my friend Arcane Anthems. And until next year, roll some Nat 20s for me.